What a wonderful song of a vignette of our lives, but I wish there were a first verse and a last verse. And we're going to be talking some about the first verse this morning as we think about creation because it starts there in the beginning and it ends not with heaven, but it ends in glory when heaven comes down to the earth and the new heavens and the new earth. And yet all in between is what we just sang about, and that is a wonderful testimony indeed of what God has done. It just doesn't give us the full picture, and it's okay to give little vignettes, but it's my hope that we get a big, bigger picture in the coming days as we consider uh, the, the thoughts before us here beginning in Genesis uh, chapter 1. I'm going to have an extensive reading this morning beginning at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and going all the way through chapter 2, where am I leading up, to verse 15. So now as we begin in the beginning, this is the only way we know the origin of the universe and the cosmos. It is because God told us what he did. And this is true. So let us now receive it as the word of God who has created us, and he has been very gracious to us to reveal these truths to us. Now hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from above the waters. Then God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and, he, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which God, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before the herb of the field had grown. But the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to the garden, water of the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first was, is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where, it is, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third is Hittichel. It is the one toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth is river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. Herein is the ending of the word of God. Our gracious fathers, we gather around this beginning of your word declared to man in this special revelation that we might know these things, that we might know our Lord's intent. We pray that you would send your spirit upon the preaching now, that you would ignite our hearts and energize us in the good things of our God. We pray that you would continue to shape us into the image of God that has been marred in the fall that we might be agents of your providence in the new heavens and the new earth, and that you would give us a great sense of purpose in the life story that you have uh, prescribed for each one of us here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I felt it was necessary to give an extensive reading uh, of this text and In the Old Testament, as we come to it, we're going to look broadly at some of these texts to glean small portions from it. It is my intention today to do so. As I preached last Lord's Day, a message that uh, connects our lives here with a sweet-smelling sacrifice that was uh, given upon the altar, uh, I had a lot of questions that followed and a lot of inquiries, which were very good. The week before, I finished up Matthew's gospel and that uh, very famous text that God sends us forth to be uh, those which make disciples of all the nations, teaching them whatsoever the Lord has commanded. And all authority has been given to Christ here on earth in his resurrection to go and be successful in this mission that he's given the church. I thought it might be good to spend some time now connecting some of these dots together to better understand in our own personal lives 
those sacrifices in the tabernacle, of which we thought about last Lord's Day, and even the Great Commission, now that we go out and, and spread the good news of the gospel, along with the big plan of what God is doing here. So whether you're a visitor here visiting with us today, if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you are trying to understand purpose and truth and meaning in life, or whether you're an old saint and you just need to be energized and refreshed in the goodness of God, I trust this morning that help from the origin will be an aid to you. But to understand our mission from even Matthew 28... We must go back to the origin of it all. We must go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis, a word that means the origins, is that which God has begun the special revelation to us to show us that in the beginning it was God. You ever want to know how the world came into being? You ever want to know where the beginning of time was and what was there? It was God, and he was before time and before space and before all of this that we know as the cosmos and creation. When God began to create, he created the heavens and the earth. He created a cosmos, both the terrestrial things here and the celestial things there. He created a cosmos, and he creates it with a great unity. But the question that we have, and the question that scientists have been pondering for years, is why? Christians wonder this. Scientists argue about this. But why is all of this in existence? What are the answers to that question? And many Christians do not know. If we were to ask, why did God do all this, you're very simple and reasonable and right answer would be, why? And see, we know that answer very clearly. We've been catechized. God does everything for his glory. And I don't want to diminish that one bit. That's the very big answer. But from that, he has also given us reasons why he has done this and how it brings him glory. And when we understand some of the whys and the hows of that, it begins to make personal relevant sense to us. Modern scientists today deny that this universe has some meaning and purpose. I happened to watch this past week a debate between uh, Richard Dawkins, an atheist, and one of the leading scientists of the day arguing what is the meaning of all of this. Dawkins says there is no meaning to all this. It's arbitrary, it's random, it's chance, and there is no meaning to the earth. There's no meaning to our existence. We just kind of are. The other scientist on the other side who is arguing for a group of scientists says there's got to be some meaning here, uh, and the meaning is found in God. And the very first thing he said, but let me qualify, I'm not talking about a personal God I'm talking about the God of of harmony and the God of unity and the God that, that makes sense of the order here. And so then they argue about the meaning and the purpose of life completely absent from God himself. The God that they had defined for those who tried to find some meaning is a God that they have imagined and they have put together by their rational minds based upon the data of their empirical evidence around them where they have suppressed the truth and have not acknowledged God, neither were thankful, so God gives them over to a reprobate mind, and they do not understand. We are, and some scientists would say, we are, there's no special meaning of the earth, even in the midst of the cosmos. Now, the earth is very special. It it has great... uh, Features and characteristics that so far nowhere else in all of the cosmos have any scientist with any telescope been able to come even close to the kind of characteristics that the earth has. They would say we're just some random arbitrary product of billions of years of chance. We're going nowhere. We have no purpose. And logically, if they took that to the conclusion, they would say, then there's no morality, there's no ethics, there's nothing here except what we would then make of it, 
There is no purpose, no meaning. We simply exist. And that's why philosophers now for over 2,000 years have always come up to a dead end if they try to find meaning to life apart from its creator of the origin, the self-existent Yahweh, the great I Am. Yet we're also seeing an increase today in the meaningless of church members, and we're trying to find greater ways to stir up activity and interest in church. And so we bring the world into the church, and we try to stir up energy and try to give people a reason for coming when there is no meaning or purpose that is being taught from the pulpit, and truth has been abandoned, and it's no wonder the world outside is the way it is. Church going today is now becoming a downward trend, and we're seeing lower numbers even in evangelical and biblical churches, at least in our land. The church is growing, however, as it will continue to grow until the consummation and the return of Christ. So don't lose hope there. But our land right now is in some desperate times. Kids growing up in the church become very confused because the world is very confused. We should not send our kids to the world to have them learn about the meaning of life. We should send our kids who have learned the meaning of life out into the world to educate them. But we got it all backwards oftentimes. Out in the world where our own kids of the world, that is, the, the children of the world, where their identities are being shaken and, and they are being challenged and maligned and indoctrinated with heinous teachings of vile, arrogant people who have been turned over to a reprobate mind who push their own agendas from what is far from beautiful, true, and good upon innocent, um, uh, hungry minds and hearts. And then that kind of stuff comes right into the church of Jesus Christ. We're seeing it all over the place today. In England, we're seeing it across our nation today. We're seeing churches with their rainbow flags and celebrating this past month of June. And, and all of this depravity and sinful reprobate behavior is coming right into the church unashamed. Because they don't know why. They've not found their own personal life as a part of the narrative of what God is doing. Well, the answer to the question why is very significant for us, even on a daily basis, for us to have a personal, vital, living, and vibrant, exciting relationship with the God who created it all. The answer to the question why provides us meaning with life. It provides us purpose for today and energy to dispel the apathy and the lethargy that Pastor Keith preached against or, 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 or prayed against. What, what am I about? What, what are you about? Where's your place in this in this world? What is your calling? What is your work? What is your vocation? How does all that fit in the days in which you live? These are questions that you have the answers for right before you. The meaning to what God is doing here and why this earth exists provides me clarity for who I am and my identity and your identity. Not merely in terms of gender, but my identity with my creator. My identity in the calling that I have in life, and yours too. It provides me security with who I am in this world, and hope for the future. And I don't find my identity based upon what other people think about me. I find my identity based in the creator who has given it to me. And you are the same. This world, this cosmos, this heavens and earth is God's world. He was creating this as a project. Can I say it in human words? He was creating a dwelling place for himself. Not that he needed a place to live. Not that he needed anything more than he already had. Not that he needed us, but he was creating this for his own glory 
to enjoy it, to delight in it, to take pleasure in it. And he created it for that purpose, and he did that purpose, and he does delight in this world, in this heavens, and all of the cosmos, and he continues to delight in this creation of his, and he interacts with this creation on a very daily, minutia level, and he enjoys this world that he has created. Even after the fall of mankind, and which took not only all of humanity, created in his image, down into a depraved situation. And when he took the man, uh, when the sin took him down and man took sin, and, and it created a depravity in this entire earth, and it cursed the earth, even in that state, God loves this world, and he still desires to dwell here, and he takes pleasure in this world all around us. You cannot deny that. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. We could go on and on and on, just quoting the Psalms here at this moment. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation of the cosmos, heaven and heavens, and waters above the heavens, and waters under the heavens, and earth and the seas under the earth. And we have this multi-layered cosmos which includes both the physical and the spiritual. Or I could say it, the visible, physical world and the invisible, non-physical world. That which we do not see, the angels and the principalities and the powers and the dominions in heavenly places. That which is now observing us and watching us this very moment, learning of the manifold wisdom of God by observing the church, interacting with us in ways we do not see, engaging in our activities in ways that we do not comprehend, ministering spirits of God, helping us in the very purpose that God has given to each of us. Our cosmos includes the creation of space and time and matter, and a spiritual world in the heavenly places that interacts in our world. Let's take a brief survey through the seven days of creation, and let's just consider a few nuggets. I'm just pulling a few parts out of this and just gleaning some things, giving you a big picture with it, but let's look at this progression there is a progression and a unity and a correspondence that goes on from day one to day seven. On day one, God creates light. I was thinking about this this morning. And it says on day one, it's very simple. He, he, he only did really one thing, maybe two actually, on day one. He, he creates light and he divides light from the darkness. Now, you think about God creating light. Let there be light and there was light. But what does that next thing mean? He divides the light from the darkness. I think when we think in terms of what the Word has said that God has done, it's more mysterious than we in our scientific, highly enlightened minds would like to, to agree to. We think of light and darkness as something as when light enters, then darkness is dispelled. And we don't think of darkness as any kind of substance or matter in this way. We think of darkness as the absence of light. And where there is light, there is no darkness. But he says he creates light and then he divides the two. I don't pretend to know all of that. Day two, there's a progression then. Now on day two, he creates a firmament. And again, there's a division that he does here. And he divides the waters above the firmament from those that are below. And he calls the firmament heaven. And therein ends day two. Each of those days, he's going to have a rhythmic pattern. And the evening and the morning were day one. And the evening and the morning or day two, and so on. A pattern that we should notice, a pattern that we understand the, the progression from the beginning of the day, 
from evening to the end of the day, morning. As we think about day three then, he then gathers the waters together under heaven and he creates dry land that then he calls earth. Now notice how God is naming things here. He calls the dry land earth and waters he calls sea. So he's beginning to give names to his creation. He takes and he creates and he divides and then he he gathers together and then he begins to name these things. And then God brought vegetation on day three. He brought forth vegetation, and he brought forth grass, and he brought forth herbs, and he brought forth spices, and he brought forth ginger root, and he brought forth peppers, and jalapenos, and cumin, and cinnamon, cinnamon and coriander and cloves and chilies and garlics and onions and nutmeg and tamaric, turmeric, eggplant and zucchini and mushrooms and spinach, beans and peas. And if I stopped right there, I can make you a very spicy, aromatic Indian dish that I made on Monday with all of those ingredients. And you will smell it before you taste it. And when you taste it, it will last a very long time. (laughs) It will please your olfactory senses and it will make your palate of taste buds dance in your mouth and you will be wanting something to wash it down. So on that day, he also creates grapes with a perfect pairing of Riesling. And yet man's not here yet, but all of this was thought about. On this day, third day now, we're only on day three, but there were fruit trees and figs and dates and oranges and grapefruit and blueberries and strawberries and raspberries and apples and kumquats. I learned what that was this week. And pomegranates and palm trees and coconuts. I left those last two in that order because you're going to see those again somewhere. Well, and cocoa beans, yeah, I, I, I can't forget cocoa beans, right? And how in the world any man could come up with how to make chocolate out of those beans, if you've ever seen the process of being, chocolate being made, is only attributed to the wisdom and the knowledge of God, in which we're made in his image. Oh, and, and yes, coffee beans. I mean, there is so much on day three. He just starts on day one with light. Then day two, he's rearranging some things after he creates out of nothing, and then he rearranges and gathers together. He's preparing a a platform, and now all of a sudden, earth and seas, and, and now all of this vegetation and this goodness is coming forth. But then beginning with day four, we see not only a progression, but we see correspondence. Notice that day four corresponds back to day one. On day one, he creates light, but on day four, he creates the sun, moon, and the stars. And again, he says he divides the the light from the darkness and day from night. Even though he's been using that terminology in a pre-existent state. He refines it, he defines it, and there's correspondence between now day one and day four. I think there's something going on even quite beyond the physical realm that he is creating that he wants us to notice. And I'll get to that in a moment. But then he goes to day five. Now, day five, it corresponds back to day two. Not only does it correspond to it, it advances it. It moves it down the path of progression. But it was always looking back seeing what was behind, knowing which would come before, that God began this immense and immaculate progression. God creates on that second day the, the sky and the, and, 
And he then begins dividing things. So what's he do on day, on day five? He creates birds to fly in those heavens above. And he creates the sea creatures and the fish and the shrimp and the lobsters and fish with little lights on their head because they dwell and live down so far in the deep that light doesn't even exist there except what the fish produces out of this mysterious manner in which God has created. All of these sea creatures then populate day two of creation with sea life. Creation is building toward a climax, and we ought to begin sensing this in the narrative and the story of God right now. And then day six corresponds back to day three, when all of that spices and fruit and, and grapes and olives, which were meant for olive oil for the lamps to burn. <laughs> I know, my palate's not quite sanctified yet. And all of this, we see corresponding back to day three, all of the animal life on day six comes. And then the capstone of it all, God says, and let us create man in our image. He creates male and female. He created them in his, their image. We're going to give more attention to that in a subsequent time, but... Right now, to keep this together and moving forward in this broad gleaning, I want us to finish our survey here. God then points out man on day three of creation, and he shows what that day three creation was for. He created all those things ahead of time in advance, knowing that he was going to do on day six. Took a couple more days to get there. All of those things he points back to. In fact, he even gives a couple of verses in verse 29 and 30 to highlight now everything he did on day three was for the animals and for man on day six. So he gives him instruction because he can give them instruction. Because when he creates man in his own image, he creates them in an intellectual way after his own faculties so that he can communicate with man. He can give him instructions and he can tell him things. He created man and animal in such a way that we also need a regular food supply. And he built that regular food supply right into creation. He builds man with an ongoing need that will supply him with something that he must have daily. You know what? God thought about that way ahead of time. He knows that you're going to have needs every single day of your life. And he thought about that a couple of days ago. God knows your tomorrow, and he knows what you're going to need tomorrow. He knows what you're concerned about tomorrow, but he's already got you covered. He's already taken care of that. He thought about that back a while. He knew it. He planned it. He designed it, and now you trust him. He will provide for you just as he provides for the arrow, the sparrow. And then we have on day seven. Day seven is a special day. It brings all of the days together into a relevance, into a harmony, into a unity. And this is the Sabbath day that God sets aside. And on the sixth day, he finished all his work which he had done. And he looks over and he says, behold, it's all very good. And then the seventh day, he rested. And this day of special rest was a day in which God now enters into the very dwelling place. This is where he comes down and now he resides in his tabernacle that he has made for himself. And he rests in it. He enjoys it. He takes pleasure in it. He interacts with it. Once he finishes creation, he takes the day off 
to delight in all that he has done and rest satisfied with it. But he doesn't just sit back and do nothing. He interacts with it. He's lively with it. And he brings man, the highest part of this earthly creation, made in his own image, into his own delights on this day. Man's first day was God's Sabbath. He enters into this world in a context where God had finished the work. So man's first day was a day of worship, rejoicing in his creator, celebrating the things that God had done. And man delighted in this day that God had given to him. This was a day of feasting with God. This was a day of celebrating God's work, a day of rejoicing in what God had already done, a day in fellowshipping with Him. Oh, there is going to be work for man to do tomorrow, but today is to rest in the work that God has completed and all of the goodness. It's a day of fellowshipping with God. It's a day of talking with God. It's a day of listening to God as God tells the story of day one, two, and three. And he elaborates on day three and day four, and he begins to show man. Now, here's the story. And God's telling man, and man's just sitting here in awe, listening to the things that the Creator is telling him. And he's sharing a story with man. This Sabbath rest is worship day. It's, it's storytelling day. It's song singing day. It's music playing day. It's feasting with God day. It's delightful day that brings meaning and keeps the meaning of the cosmos all intact. Because it sums up all of the six days into a pleasure, a celebration, a meaning, a purpose in God himself who then shares with this with his people who have been created in his image. This is not God resting in his lazy boy, kicking his feet up, drinking a sip of water, watching all of the things out there in his field playing. This is God in the middle of his pasture with his sheep running and playing with them. In God's works of creation, he is teaching us some very important truths that bring meaning and substance and vitality in life. A few of those points that I would like to, to bring out is this. Number one, all of this world is to be enjoyed with God. And none of it is to be enjoyed apart from him. I could take those two statements right there and preach for several hours. Everything we do must be done with a view and with gratitude to God himself who has created it. Everything you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Colossians 3.17. He's helping us to understand purpose and meaning and vitality and life and, and interacting and living with God here upon the earth. And when we do not do that, life gets very problematic and complicated. Folks, everything we do must be done with a view to God and with this interaction with Him, even down to eating your in-between meal snacks and drinking your morning coffee and sipping on your afternoon glass of wine in the cool of the evening. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Do all to the majesty of God. Do all to the beauty and splendor of God. Do all of this with your God. Enjoy your God in the coffee. Enjoy your God in the wine. Enjoy your God in the in-between meals and snacks. Enjoy God. That's what this is about. God does not want you to presume on these things. And when you do, you will not enjoy them. You'll lose purpose. You'll lose understanding. You will think church is boring on the Sabbath. And you will not delight in it because you've just lost your moorings of what life is all about here. God has created this world as his place to come and dwell and to enjoy his creation. And that has not been given up since the fall. That will change a whole mindset. That will give you an entirely different worldview. If you are drunk on the world's news today, if you are infatuated with all of the negative things that are going on in the world today, if you feel defeated and you lack hope with all of the the sin issues, this has been going on since Genesis 3, and God has not been defeated yet, and God still delights in his creation. And I want you to have hope in this. I want you to be excited and energetic in this. You are the image bearer of God in this world, and all of his creation is affected by how you live your life unto God or not. But this creation will be affected by your life. Number two, God shows us an advancement and a progression in the week of creation in this pattern of which we are to emulate. We are created in his image. We are given imagination. We are are creators and makers with that imagination. And we design and we create. We, We, with our bodies, take the raw materials out of God's earth. And we create works of beauty and art. We create musical instruments and we make compositions to play them. We invent technologies We build churches. And we do all this to his glory, to fill the cosmos with the knowledge of his wisdom, with a marvel of who he is and all of his attributes. Number three, God shows us in his creative work transcendent values. Now this is where you have to actually see what's going on between the lines of the progression and the continuity and the harmony and the unity between day one and four, day two and five, day three and six, and pulling it all together in the Sabbath. These transcendent values are that which have mystified philosophers for years. But these transcendent values are acknowledged. Beauty. Truth, goodness, unity, harmony, and love. You can argue if there's three transcendent values, beauty, truth, and goodness. If there's four by adding unity to it, or five by adding harmony, or six by adding love. But I'm telling you, these transcendent values are all created within the design and the providence of God. The lives we live are designed to be lived valuing these transcendental values that God himself loves. This unity and harmony and orderliness in life. God is not a creator of chaos, but of order. The apostle would say in 1 Corinthians 14, the rhythms of life, evening and morning, were the first day, second day. The new moon, the full moon, The summer, fall, winter, and spring. These rhythms, this music of the spheres. The beauty then that adorns the truth and makes it so attractive. The goodness because God has declared it to be so. The love because God loves this world and he loves his creation and he especially loves his people. And he wants us to love one another. See, what God is ultimately doing in creation is he's building a temple. 
A temple is a place where God dwells. It is a place where the intersection of heaven and earth come together. It's a place where the cosmos created in time, space, and matter, visible and invisible, then come into the presence of heaven itself, and the two are connected together. That, that's what God is doing here. He's showing us in these seven days of creation, the seven stages of temple building, which we're going to develop as we go from here. But the temple is where God dwells among his cosmos that he has created to delight in it, enjoying it, and invites his creation to come and fellowship with him. We see early on that God is walking in the cool of the day in his garden among his creation and fellowshipping with his people. Likewise, in Leviticus later, we're going to see, speaking of the tabernacle, he says, I will set my tabernacle and I will walk among you. Later, when David had a desire to build the temple, God reflects in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the tabernacle was that which he has been walking in among God's people, using the same kind of language, referring back to what God was doing in creation when he creates this garden and he walks in the cool of the day with his image bearer enjoying his world. Subsequent, subsequent pages of scripture and events that will go on then will help us to understand the picture of what all of this is about, where it is all going. As we begin to unpack the very purposes of God, we find our place even after the fall in its purpose and design of God. And we find that in this world that he has created, in this cosmos, in which he is delighted to dwell. He wants us to enjoy it and enjoy him in it and now to collaborate with them toward its progression. He delights to walk with his people and he delights to talk with his people while he is walking in his creative world. As we begin to get our heads and hearts around this design and purpose for God and his creation, it will help us to understand better where we fit in. And our salvation out of the darkness and out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of his dear son is a very important part of this. But if we think about our life as only that and that alone, we have far missed the big prize, the, the, the grand reward that we will and have been engaged in toward the new heavens and the new earth consummated in Revelation 21 and 22. You're not going to enjoy life as much if you separate out God's creation from his redemption. Never has God separated those two. Never has he divided those in future weeks, I want to begin unpacking some of the principles of what it means to be human, created in the image of God, and what our purpose is, and your identity in this world, and delight here upon the earth, and how to live in a way that not only God enjoys you, but you enjoy God, and you've got a fellowship with Him that is deep, and, and meaningful, and purposeful, and vibrant, and energetic, and one that will get you out of bed to get on your knees. And want to get you excited about the things that God is excited about. The point I want to make this morning is that God is creating this world to dwell in it, to delight in it, to take pleasure in it, take pleasure in man, and he delights you to take pleasure in his world. And so he invites us into his sanctuary. And the work we do here unto the Lord, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it will create the stories and the experiences and the objects to share the wisdom and the pleasure and the goodness and grace and truth and the transcendent truths and values of God with this world and all of creation. And God is pleased in, a, in, a, in an astounding way to, to collaborate with us, to take the works of our hands and to integrate them into the very new heavens and the new earth as we labor together with our creator in this cosmos. And that will give you a great sense of purpose and design. Your good works that will go through the trying fires of God will not be destroyed. 
The wood, hay, and the stubble will be burned away. It will be purified. The dross will be lifted up. But there will be a good works that will last. Works that he has already foreordained that you should walk in them. So he saves you unto that purpose. So that you've got something to do with the new heavens and the new earth. In that collaborative work of God. Which is an astounding and mysterious thing that he has invited us to join in. Even our prayers are a collaborative work with God. Our time here this morning is a sharing in the fellowship. God doesn't need us, but he enjoys using us. And we should be enjoy being the willing agent of the providence of God to accomplish his eternal purposes. It's mysterious. It's astounding. It's mesmerizing. It's awe-inspiring, and when we get our hearts around it, it really is energizing for who we are as his image bearers. So to sum it up this morning, God creates this world in order to dwell here. He had pleasure in his creation, and he wanted to enjoy its beauty. He wanted to hear the birds sing. He creates a wind so he can watch the leaves blow. He likes to see the fruit-bearing trees bear their designed fruit. He watches the sea creatures play, even in the depths of the sea where man can never go. He smells the freshness of his varied spring flowers. He likes to enjoy the snow in much the same way that you do. He likes to hear the rhythm of the waves crashing on his beaches, to behold every changing beauty of a sunset that changes on a secondly basis, to look across the mountain ranges and to see one peak after another, to watch and behold the fluorescent green grass that he makes in northern Scotland or the humongous red trees in California the glaciers and the northern lights in the far north and the penguins energetically playing in the far south. Most of all, God wanted to enjoy this wonderful creation with his image bearers, you and me. He wants you to enjoy these things too with him. You ever been to a place that You've been by yourself, maybe it's somewhere across the world or a particular site or scene, and you're just like, man, I really wish I had somebody here to enjoy it with. So today we take a lot of pictures so we can go back and we can show and we can tell or we instantly send them these days, but it's not the same, is it? You want to enjoy that experience with one you deeply love and can share the stories and share the sights and share the experience and actually amplify that experience through the life and the interaction of the other one and with whom you are enjoying it. And see, that is the way God has made us. He's made us like himself, Trinitarian. And even after the fall, God did not abandon this world nor his desire to come here and enjoy it. And so he had to take some special actions to restore and put back on track his wonderful creation project. But to do it in such a way that we can be all the more at all in wonder at the things that he's created. So while sometimes we get the focus of the Bible exclusively on man's salvation alone. It is much more than that. The Bible shows us who we are, created in the image of God, and that God desires to enjoy this creation, all of it, and use it for his glory. And since sin has entered the world, God has made a way to restore all these things, to bring man back to himself, and to restore this fallen world today. So with all the brokenness in the world today, the brokenness that should not be our focus, 
but rather that God is bigger than the brokenness here. His glory is higher than the deepest depravity, and he wants to fellowship with us down here upon the earth because this world, he made it. That should be our focus. Think on these things, he would tell us. He hasn't abandoned this world. He wants us to enjoy it along with them. And while there are still struggles along the way and curse of the earth that still causes trouble for us, it is all going to a full restoration in Revelation 21 and 22, of which we only see a very small glimpse, but a glorious glimpse. And God has in his design given us some of his faculties both physical and spiritual, so that we can take in and we can experience and we can wonder and we can explore and we can enjoy His creation. He's given Christians the ability to see the new heavens and the new earth in transcendent ways. To take time to look around you, to breathe deeply of the aromas of this world, the flowers and the smells of creation, and to take in that smell of the incense that ascends from the altar of incense in the holy place. To look and see the beauty of this present world and to look up to the glory of God and behold the face of Jesus Christ. To reach out and touch and embrace and feel the the love of God and the warmth of companionship and familial bonds. To hear the songs of the birds and the church singing God's praise for these things. To taste of the goodness and the various flavors that are found all around God's creation. And to taste the bread and the wine that we can see that God is good. See, we we experience it physically, but we experience it spiritually. We experience it in a transcendental way. Where unity and orderliness and harmony and love and beauty and truth are all together in one. We experience both the creation and the new creation in Christ Jesus. And we give God thanks. We praise Him. We marvel at His wisdom. We exult in His beauty. For God dwells here among us. And He says, I will dwell among my people and I will be your God and you will be my people. That's where our purpose is. That's the purpose here. And the dwelling place now is this sanctuary of God. This sanctuary which is the church itself being united into the resurrection body of Christ where the Shekinah glory dwells. God desires to share this experience with us at his table. And that's why all this exists. The purpose and the meaning of life is all wrapped up in God and our enjoyment of Him and His enjoyment of us and with us in the world that He has created. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we now come at the end of this message, we come to the beginning of the table where we will taste and we will see that You are good, not only physically, but we will now observe these physical elements of this creation while we actually taste of the, 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 the realities of heaven itself, where the two are one in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. What mystery this is. What transcendent glory there is. What beauty there is. What truth there is. What goodness there is. What unity there is. What love there is. So Lord, on this Lord's Day Sabbath, as we sum up all these things of your creation to give you praise and thanksgiving, Lord, we delight in this day and we delight to enjoy you in this day, knowing that you delight to fellowship with us. 
This knowledge is too high. We cannot attain into it. It is beautiful, and we are thankful. So, Lord, we ask that you would stir up your people with a greater sense of thanksgiving and gratitude for what you have done. And in that, may we go and be more inquisitive and to use these senses to observe all of the world around us, to give you greater praise and greater thanksgiving for it all. And to interact in this world with our God in an interactive, lively way. That as we're walking down the road, we can talk openly with you. We can ask you questions about your creation. And we can have this personal experience that you have created us to have as you walk with us in the cool of the garden. We give you our thanks for the understanding now of these truths. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.